Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 58 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar. Yay, yay! And we brought two people we haven't seen for a while from the comic book team. Mr. Charlie Ridgely's back. Hello. And Jamie Jerick is back with us. Hello. And uh, we brought Jamie Jerick in for her expertise today because uh, we've come to the end of an era. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is, has just aired its series finale, the real series finale this time. It's done <laughs> for good. Um, and Jamie, you are like our biggest Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. expert slash fan on staff. So we are going to break down all of the crazy happenings of these final episodes and the season as a whole, because we've been waiting to get you on and kind of talk about this whole last final season and all the time travel and everything that happened. So we're going to deep dive into Marvel, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale today. We've also got a review of the uh, upcoming HBO horror series, Lovecraft, love horror drama series, Lovecraft Country. Man, I'm really good at the talking today, which I had a chance to review in advance. And uh, Mr. Charlie oh. Ridgely has also seen... So we're going to break that down for you guys because that's going to hit this weekend and finally bring us a new show for summer. And uh, spoiler alert, this one's worth watching, so we're going to tell you why. We're also going to get into some news scatterings. We got uh, a return of an old geek favorite coming back. We got to talk about the update on what's happening with movie theaters. Matt like, wanted to talk some wrestling, and I like to indulge him every now and again, so we're going to do some of that. And, uh, yeah, we got a lot of comics to talk to and we've been trying to find time because there's just more and more comic stuff piling up on the pile that we gotta get to so we're gonna try to get to some of that today so a nice easy breezy show through geekdom so let's start at the top in our news flash section today we got to talk about the return i said of an old uh, geek favorite matt was also very uh, giddy about this so why don't you just tell us what's going on buddy i won't steal your thunder oh yeah so uh the Reports came out yesterday that evidently Olivia Munn is in talks, is in final talks to return uh, to the teased and mysterious G4 TV reboot. Uh, it would, if it goes through, uh, the report said that it was like a multi-year deal. So this looks not to be just like a cameo or for some reunion thing or premiere. It actually looks like it's going to be an ongoing gig. Uh, it would be both for on air and off air. Uh, stuff. So, I mean, she, from those who remember, uh, she used to co-host to me, the best years of attack of the show on G4 Ooh, um, it was her. It was her and Kevin Pereira. I thought those years were my favorite um, of attack of the show. Don't uh, knock the pioneers. I, I'm not, but I'm saying those were, I feel like that was the biggest mainstream section of attack of the show. If, I mean, that was when Attack of the Show really became kind of a household name amongst geek culture. That was that period of time. Then she left, and then we got a new host that came in, and then shortly after, it was like a couple years later, it all folded. But I feel like having her back in the fold 
Well, we had, I mean, you're just skipping over a lot. I mean, there were some, a lot of people who came through after her. I'm uh, Jessica Shabbat, who is now on uh, uh, Nerdist. Um, Sarah Underwood, who went over to like take over Instagram and like. Well, okay, but they were all, they weren't the anchor of the show. The the main anchor was always two people. It was always, it was her. And yeah, because like Allison Hayes also part of the tag of the show and I adored her and like I adored the movie section and stuff like that, Chris Gore. Like there was a lot of parts, but talking specifically anchors, it was Mun, and then there was one more, and I'm blanking on her name, but then she kind of came in as the replacement, and then she was the last co-anchor with Kevin when until he left in 2012. So, like, there was that period of time. Well, Sarah was Lane. Really big Sarah Lane and Mun replaced Lane, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah. you know, that was a big – that's a big get uh, for – if it's going to return and if it's going to bring back now, like there's still no talk of like Adam Sessler, Morgan Webb of X play, uh, even though X play has kind of been teased as a part of this, obviously, um, you know, code monkeys and some other shows were also big hits on the network. So we'll see if those return. But as far as just specifically talking attack of the show, it's cool. It's a, it's a cool deal. I, I feel like this really pertains to a certain age demographic because like you can see this very much on social media, like it's kind of split between like people that were like actively watching during this time. And then like, there's this whole slew of people that like never really, they kind of became into gaming after G4 went. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how G4 tries to bring them in. Cause there's this whole generation of people that just didn't grow up with it. Uh, and gaming has since then become so stream heavy and so Twitch heavy. I'm I'm interested to see what they do, but I think getting these names draws in that nostalgic crowd, and I think they need that. So I, I was I was excited for this. I thought this is a good step in the right direction. Yeah, yes, you were, you were. All right, <laughs> so that's Matt's update on Attack of the Show. Let's talk about what's going on in movie theaters. So we've been all kind of waiting to see when theaters are going to be reopening, and it's been a been a slow go because arriving spikes in coronavirus infections across the country it's been uh, not looking good for theater reopenings we thought we hoped early on in the spring that by late summer around this time we might have been back in but uh that quickly went away as we got towards like memorial day and stuff it, it became apparent we weren't getting back in the theaters but hey amc is p- pushing forwards you know some people are deciding to just push forwards through this COVID thing so, AM Theaters is proposing a reopen in on August 20th, and they're not just reopening, but they're kind of uh, taking an old-timey approach to theaters to help a gimmick lure people in to their doom. No, I'm just kidding. We don't know that. But, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just uh, get people back in the theater. So, basically, they're going to be doing the movies in 2020 at 1920 prices, this is like their little promotion 2020 as 1920 because we're all thinking about a hundred years ago and uh, you know, epidemics and whatnot. So, <laughs> so all tickets in some theaters will be 15 cents, which was the price in 1920. There's also going to be other promotions. Like um, they're going to be bringing back some fan favorite movies. There'll be $5 a ticket. They'll be uh and those include like Inception's 10 year anniversary, Black Panther, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, Grease, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. And they're going to be kind of food packages, you know, popcorn, soda, kids things that are $5 as well. Uh, AMC is kind of currently on pace to have what we say are two thirds of its theaters open so that we can get Tenet back. Whereas this is all for Mr. Nolan, Christopher Nolan here. Um, 
So by September 3rd and around Labor Day, they were trying to get two-thirds of their theaters open. All right. Let it go. And uh, you also in this so, time period. You seem so exasperated by this news, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I am. It's just crazy. And of course, we're also, this could also play a pivotal role. And that's why I'm exasperated because I was just reading some things and I was like, oh, I didn't even put this together when we put this in here. But it could also play a pivotal role in Mr. Charlie Ridgely's bet of uh, getting New Mutants uh, that theatrical. New Mutants tickets are on sale in like four days. Yeah, we already had a, you should, you, I know you don't listen to podcasts, but that's why we've been making fun of you for weeks on end about this. So <laughs> don't worry about it. You, can you, you wonder why I don't listen to the podcast. You didn't know that. You just didn't listen. This is a chicken. We know which came first, the chicken or the egg in this case. Nice try. But so yeah, that's why I don't listen. you might win on a technicality. You might win on this gross technicality. of It's not a technicality. It totally is. I said it's going to open in theaters. It's going to open in theaters. Charlie. Yeah, what's so technical you're telling about that? Me, so you're telling me that if the legalese didn't dictate that they would have to go to a theater before a streaming service, it wouldn't be released to a streaming service? You can it tell doesn't matter. It's coming, it's coming. No, and that it does matter. matter. That's a technicality. No, I don't know what that means. Just let him say this because this is exactly what we said he would say. And I know he hasn't listened. I'm just saying. It's kind of like playing. I don't care how it got here. I don't care what happened. We it's know, going we to theaters. The we told the audience. Exactly That's all that matters. Yes, we I didn't bet anyone anything, so I just said it was going to happen. It's yeah, fine. We, yeah, we, we've laid it's all fine. this out. So, as you can see, we were right. All right. So if we bet something, Matt, I would be more lenient with you. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that's true, because I've been I in the comic book offices for four years, and I don't have any evidence to suggest. I saw Jim wear a romper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the only one. All right. Because Back you were with everyone home for Christmas. So, do you think this is going to work? I mean, is this promotion going to get anybody here into theaters? I mean, 15 cents. I have a lot to say. Okay, go ahead. Go for it, man. We I was first. Time. So, I was upset because I got on to buy these 15 cent tickets because I wanted to just buy up as many in the theater as I could. Because theoretically, like 30 seats is $4.50. Um, but I couldn't because it kept charging convenience fees for every ticket. So, like, I bought, I tried to buy 12 tickets for Ghostbusters next Thursday. And it turned into it turned went from 180 to 2808, and I was really frustrated. Um, and then someone on Twitter informed me, Anthony Burke, I think he listens to the show, um, informed me that you can, uh, if you're an AMC insider, which is like the it's a free sign up, uh, you get you get your convenience fees waived. So this afternoon, oh. when I learned that, a bunch of movies already sold out. Like Empire Strikes Back, the evening show is already sold out for the 15 cent thing, which is crazy to me. But I did go to the one movie that didn't have any tickets sold and buy the entire theater, which was Bloodshot. Um, <laughs> and because I had rewards points, it cost me no money. Wow. It's the smallest theater. I bought up like 10 tickets, which was like 30% of the theater. And I think one other person got like a ticket or two in there, but I've essentially bought the whole theater for Bloodshot <laughs> next this Thursday. It's a bad plan. <laughs> it's a terrible plan. So why okay, so why are you going why are you buying so many tickets for Bloodshot? I got Ghostbusters because I guess you wanted to see I mean, because Bloodshot. I'm gonna go by myself or like with another person and have a theater to ourselves because that's safe and not crazy. I mean it's crazy, but in a different way of like it's not dangerous. I I, I don't even like I saw Bloodshot. I didn't even like the movie. So <laughs> I am not that desperate for entertainment. Okay. It's one of those like it's one of those fun, dumb things to do, like we get to go back to a theater the first day back, and we don't have to deal with any other person. I got, I got. Dumb That's gonna be fun. I'm excited. <laughs> I might not even go. 
Oh, oh my god! This is crazy. This is this is turning I'm into so a excited. character study of Charlie. Wizard, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Listen, if this would have cost me money, you could you could. It was free. I paid nothing to do. I mean, this. here you go. So this is this is so, where your promotions go in AMC. Congratulations! Like here we go. They're going to tell all these sold out movies. Man, yeah. Oh man. All right. So there's there's one version of what's going to happen here. Is anybody? <laughs> oh else? no, I think this is a terrible idea for everyone. But... Yeah, I mean, The Empire Strikes being like sold out freaks me out. Like, I mean, it's you know, sold out is thirty percent of the theater. Um, yeah, I know, but I still have seen that movie a lot of times, and you know what it didn't have in it? COVID nineteen. What you. I'm wondering is if a bunch <laughs> of other people did what I did and bought a bunch of seats at a time, like bought like 15 or 20 seats at a time because it costs like $3. So this is what we're calling theater reopenings. It's just like, that's what I'm saying. Two, and I, I, almost wonder if AMC, like, I almost wonder if AMC knew that. No, I don't think they did. I mean, just, really just, they I'm saying, I'm saying just, the, just, I feel like this is going to be how New Mutants really premieres. This is going to be New Mutants premiere. It's just going to be Charlie. I mean, if New Mutants, if New Mutants the sold theater. out or was 15 cents a ticket, Oh my God. So yeah, I don't think anybody's really going to go for this. I mean, uh, the fear of the theater is still strong right now. Like oh, man. I, I, I will say on a, like sold out. It's just, it's too soon, man. On, on, on honest though, not, not about buying up bloodshot tickets. I, I am going to try that weekend to go see inception um, in IMAX because I mean, that's here's, here's my thinking here. It, it's, it's eight bucks for the IMAX ticket that weekend. Um, and it has the tenet, it has the, it has the tenant preview attached, and when tenet, I want to see tenant when it comes out, but I also don't know how I'm going to feel about theaters, how I'm going to feel about the experience and stuff. I'm thinking if I go in for Inception, I at least see the preview, but I can feel out what's happening. It's like if this feels totally unsafe, I don't mind leaving. I don't mind like walking out of Inception and going home and eating eight bucks to call it a day. You know, when I like, I want to know when tenant comes, like where I feel, where I stand. I don't want to pay for a ticket to tenant and get excited, get to the theater, and either a have to leave because it feels awful or B sit there freaking out the whole time because it's like, Oh, these people are wearing masks. These people are right next to me. All this stuff. It's like, this kind of seems like a good trial run for me and I don't have any problem walking away at any moment. Okay. Well, there's one version. I, I don't know how popular that version is going to be. I'm going to be, we're going to keep an eye on what happens in the theatrical situation. Cause I feel like this is going to get kind of crazy really fast. It's going right, to be a weird on. few weeks. Oh yeah. I mean, in general, for sure. All right, moving right along. Let's go and talk. Matt, why don't you run through wrestling real quick? What's going on there? You, you were all excitable about a bunch of stuff. Uh, <laughs> thank you. So uh, the biggest thing is just a big – it's a big update on the, I would say, second most important and most popular pay-per-view of the year for WWE, which is SummerSlam. So WrestleMania obviously is the top, and then I would say SummerSlam is – is right beneath it. Um, so it's been kind of, no one's known uh, where it's going to take place uh, because of course, WWE got around the whole uh, essential business thing kind of shadily. Uh, so like the performance center in Orlando has been where they've had all their other shows. Uh, it looks like from current reports, uh, SummerSlam will take place at the Amway center in downtown Orlando, Florida, um, which is, weird to me because like it's not that far from the performance center so i don't i don't really understand why why they're moving it and you might assume well it's for fans but fans are not going to be allowed here so i don't i don't really know why other than maybe just like the experience Vince mcmahon or you know i don't know maybe there's some extra money in it for vince i mean vince will always is it for the money place? Uh, <laughs> so, but the biggest thing is that there still will not be fans in attendance and SummerSlam is also, uh, 
preceded by NXT TakeOver the night before. So it's like a back-to-back uh, event weekend for WWE. And in both cases, fans will not be there, and they will have both at this new center. So interesting, uh, kind of the fact that it's still being able to be put on at all is huge, of course, especially right now, because even though theaters are reopening very soon, uh, live events for like this kind of crowd are, are not I will be a while. Uh, the other big thing was actually comments from John Cena, uh, because one we talked about a lot uh, when me and Connor get on here and, and ramble about wrestling is that like the no crowds thing has taken some adjusting to and, and WWE has put like some of its talent in the audience to simulate crowd noise and things like that. And it, and it kind of works. It's better than silence. Uh, but, you know, Cena was kind of talking uh, in, a, in an interview recently about like, how WWE should really take this time that it's having to make all these changes and like embrace it. Because right now they're kind of doing what theaters are doing. Like they'll put a toe in and they'll do these crazy swamp fight matches and stuff like that and play with no audience and taking that to the next level. And then they'll do a bunch of regular matches because they don't know when crowds will be allowed back in. Like they keep kind of holding off and go, well, crowds might come back in two weeks or four weeks. And as we've seen with theaters, this keeps pushing back and you never really get anywhere. We'll see how this next rollout goes. So he was kind of bringing up how like they should really just embrace this. And if they do and just go full throttle to quote Guy Fieri <laughs> to go full throttle, they'll, it will make the product better. And when all this is said and done, things return back to normal, you know, maybe they'll actually no have like a better end product. It's, it's interesting. I think he makes a really good point. You can see the whole, uh, there's a whole quote and he, he goes into detail about his take on it, but it is something you should definitely check out on complex.com. Cause I think he's right. I think I have actually not had any real issue with the crowdless matches. Um, but I feel like if WWE were to embrace it and forget about like maybe in three weeks, crowds will come back. It would be better for it. So interesting. Okay. There you go. That's wrestling. I kept well, it quick. I kept it concise. Yeah, I mean, I was hoping you'd go on for a little bit longer, but I guess that's going cool, too. Down. I, go, I guess that's cool, too. All right, so we're going to take a ba- break real quick early and pay some bills because when we get back, we're just going to do some deep diving into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Lovecraft Country, and uh, everything we can get through in comics because there's a lot to catch up with. So stay tuned for all of that. So, let's talk Agents of Shield, aka Agents of Shield. So, Marvel's a uh, little series that could came along through 2013. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. The show had a lot of early stumbles, but then it kind of picked up with that whole Winter Soldier Hydra deal and got to be its own little thing. We stopped worrying about just connecting to the movies and let Shield be Shield. And uh, yeah, it kept going. We thought it was going to be canceled so many times. It's season four, season five, season six, but uh, we made it to season seven. Now we're here, and uh, we just got done with the series finale, which um, I admit I enjoyed. It made me a little emotional in those, like, last final scenes because it has been a journey, and um, I can tell you because I was at the first Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, panels at both Comic-Cons, and, like, yeah, man, I've been there when we watched episodes for, like, many of those years, the fandom was real. If It may not have been the biggest fandom, but like it was a really passionate and dedicated one. And those actors, I mean, you want to talk about someone, I think we mentioned it before, but like all the growth you've seen, 
I don't think I've seen many series in like kind of just sheer growth from like a cast and a bunch of actors as I have from the Agents of Shield cast. Um, yeah, I mean they're just doing like Emmy good Emmy level dramatic work in these last seasons, and yeah, it's been really enjoyable. And this season was surprisingly enjoyable because I knew when I heard it was going to be like a time travel season and it was going to be stopping in all these different epics of time and like you know we were going to have a 30s episode and a 50s episode and an 80s episode and i was just like oh this could be really gimmicky and cheesy and like you know but it turned out to be really good and i really very much enjoyed it and in some ways it's a better time travel story than even like avengers endgame in terms of kind of like what they do and like what they play with and Spicy. How they kind of actually explain things like a Marvel multiverse and 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 what that means and and kind of make something powerful at the story. And, Is that uh, a subtle grenade? No, no. I mean, I love Endgame, but they did a really good job in Shield of kind of picking those threads up that Endgame established and using them to kind of craft an even better comprehensive story about kind of moving through time and affecting things. And ultimately, they they managed to kind of clear a major hurdle of being able to have this series stands as something that is quote unquote official in the Marvel cinematic universe, but also is now completely separated from the events of like the movies and that universe. And we don't have to worry about why Colson doesn't show up and tell everybody he's alive anymore and like all that stuff. And there is a fair amount of like resolution. Now that said these last like four episodes are some crazy tiny whiny heist stuff that I'm still trying to wrap my head around because I've been like watching these while like trying to work and do stuff. So Jamie Jarrett, take it away. Tell us about these finale episodes, how you felt. You also got to interview the cast and do all of that. And uh, just kind of lay out what the hell happened in these final episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Wow. So, okay. Hi. Um, things were getting a little crazy in the, in the new timeline, which we finally, it took most of the season to confirm that they were in a new timeline and they weren't just screwing up the original. So we know it's the same kind of rules as Endgame. Um, and after an amazing time loop episode, which was directed by Elizabeth Henstridge, and she, this was her first thing she ever directed and they threw the hardest episode they possibly could. A time loop episode that I can't even imagine. So once they get out of the time loop, um, uh, it all comes down to, um, you know, battling these chronic oms. You find out that um, where's Fitz been? He's been in the original timeline the whole time. And, uh, they, re- and they realize that um, they can get back there, but to, um, to do so, somebody has to stay behind. That somebody is Deke, my boy, my number one boy. And um, uh, so Deke lives, stays in this new timeline where he is both a rock god and the new director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and uh, so they come back to the, the old timeline, bringing all of the Chronicoms with them. Um, and then with the help of Daisy's new sister from the other timeline, they defeat all the Chronicoms. Um, well, and then they defeat uh, the new Malik. Um, Daisy dies for a second. I, I, they had me. I thought Daisy was dead for sure. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, the big twist of the whole season is that Fitzsimmons had a baby. Uh, but we kind of saw that coming. And um, then it's one year later and they show where they all are. And that's, that's really, that's the summation of the last few episodes. Uh, and I loved it. That was great. Kofi? Hey, I'm talking, I'm muted. Sorry. I'm sitting here. Like, <laughs> muted and talking. Yeah. I uh, said, uh, so that was great. But uh, how did your interviews with the cast go? What was the emotion like when you talked to the uh, agents of shield cast? And we have your interviews up if people want to watch them. 
Um, good. Um, yeah, the, 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 um, the junket was kind of sad because I think that um, everybody was bummed that, you know, they couldn't be together one last time. Um, Chloe was especially, like, you could tell she was bummed because she, I mean, she lived her all of 20s through the show. It's like a, like a big, a big time. Um, and um, so that was, and it's a lot of parallels because the episode ends with them all um, in a virtual room together, um, kind of framework-esque. So it, they accidentally really paralleled what's going on in real life, um, you know, you can't be together. Oh, wow. um, so it really, um, it felt so, everything about this season, it was shocking that it was made a year ago. Like little comments, like Daisy saying fascism is back. And um, like, it just, yeah. um, uh, and then like, you know, comments about white privilege and all this stuff. And it really felt like, um, it's a reminder that the issues of today aren't new. <laughs> We're just now noticing them based on the fact that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was made this a year ago. Um, so it was, it's interesting how much it parallels. Yeah, that, uh, that I actually really love that. Like, they actually really did a good job with every kind of time travel episode and, and kind of not shying away from these, like you said, these issues that were obviously still around but didn't explode like they did when these episodes actually aired. Um, so, like, yeah, Matt going back into, like, segregated time periods and having to deal with all that or just, like, the role of women in, I think, the 1950s episode – and yeah, it was, it was actually really good. And, and like all those comments, like you said, subtle jabs about fascism coming back and all that. Um, they're really enjoyable. What was your favorite moment of this season? If you had to pick one. I'm someone who I, I'm, I'm a comedy gal. So everything about the Mac and the D episode where they're fighting robots. Damn, um, I hoped we had like a different one, but uh, oh, I mean, we guess not. No. Um, yeah, that was mine too. So yeah, yeah um, that was, a great I mean, episode. watching Jeff Ward sing in red leather pants is, was the highlight of my summer. So. Oh, you're Jamie, where does, where does the time loop rank in your overall like ranking of time loop stories? You know, like Palm Springs was a big hit this summer. Obviously, Groundhog Day was a great time loop on Legends of Tomorrow. It was, you know, James Gunn recently tweeted this, that, like, all of them, like, how are they? They're all good. How are they all good? Like, the same, like they shouldn't all be good. Um, it's up there. I mean, I, I, I love Happy Death Day. I love um, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I, I love Palm Springs. I mean, I would actually rank the time loop episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a top five Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. So... I'll probably in my lifetime watch that episode more than I'll watch any of them. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Um, and then, cause they didn't, I mean, it was, it was kind of a mix of like some of the dramatic sci-fi ones and the comedic ones. And, mm -hmm. and it was like a well-balanced kind of mix. You could tell they were riffing on like a bunch of ones they've seen before. And it was, and it was really well done. And we got uh, that Daisy Sousa kiss. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was good too. And just <laughs> her riffing with Coulson as the only two people who know, like the like the loop is going on and that whole thing. And yeah, it was, that was a great episode. I enjoyed that. But uh, The Adventures of Mac and the D was a great one um, because it also was great because it came after such a serious and like tragic episode with Mac losing his parents and, and that whole kind of horrific thing. And yeah, him and Jeff Ward were just, like I said, the cast does has just grown so much. Mm -hmm. And so you can just have an episode like mostly Mac and, and D just like kind of doing this one dramatic versus and comedic riff at the same time. And then just the slasher tropes with the 80, like with the robots and the twist on short circuit and that whole thing. And people actually getting like buzzsawed and really kind of slasher filmed. Like, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I love this show because after that whole kind of twist with Hydra in season one, before that it was so tedious to kind of track them just trying to 
be like the little sidecar to Marvel movies and okay, well, Thor, the dark world came out. So we just have to have this episode that just has something about an Asgardian left on earth or something, because we got to sync up to whatever's happening in the movies. And that stuff was so tedious, like in the beginning of phase two. And I love the show after that, after the Hydra twist, because like I said, that broke them out into their own kind of lane and the show got the kind of freedom to be its own weird kind of quirky self and that's where I really kind of came into it. And like Grant Ward was a great villain for like those first seasons. I love that when they finally revealed him. Um, they brought in the only Inhumans that have ever been on TV. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. And the Inhuman storylines and all that. And this season did a, I, I especially liked how this season revisited a lot of what the series had done and just made these kind of callbacks to things. Um, bringing James it. Paxton in to play Bill Paxton the younger yeah. was brilliant. It was it, it was so just emotional because he 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 nailed playing his father. It was like surreal. And, and it's, um, yeah, it's hard to nail playing an icon. Yeah. So like yeah. And, and it hey, was, I stand by that. I don't care. I knew you were gonna slip that in there. I don't care. <laughs> what? We, yeah, we were in agreement on that. Like, oh, you and I were, were you yeah. my only were you my only friend there was that yeah i think bill pack right. is an icon I, i've said well, it jamie a, a while ago at, at our office we got when bill paxton died i said something about bill paxton being an icon and it started a whole oh yeah there was a massive fight it was, it was a whole thing and it has never gone away what uh, well i'm I stand by it. let's I'm go right let's go the one but thing I, I do want to ask you especially you know jamie and how deep you are into the marvel tv stuff like this we got one like this is almost the end of Marvel TV. Like, like the end of Shield kind of signified because Shield was the first like big Marvel TV thing. And I mean, we've got Hellstrom, which is already made, which is kind of dead on arrival when it comes to Hulu this fall. But like this really feels like the end of that entire like Jeff Lowe built era. You know, I mean, like a whole a company lot of ways is, it is. is gone. Now. Yeah, in a lot of ways it is, and by a lot of ways, I mean it is. Like, yeah. Um, now we have Disney Plus. It also, in a way, feels a lot like the end of like a Network Twenty Two. I think the CW is the only other place that you can get that twenty-two episodes a season yeah. um, for these kind of shows, and and that bums me out because all my favorite shows, like Buffy and yeah, I mean outside of procedurals, like because you got like the NCIS and stuff. You yeah, know, those like, but like an ongoing story like this. Yeah. You know, it's not really happening. Well, I mean, it was inevitable. I mean, I said it 10 years ago that we were going to go to the UK version of just doing like 13 episode installment series of things. And like, I know. guess, so I guess I'm the only and one. Marvel TV was bad at the 13 episode thing sometimes too. I guess I'm yeah. the only one here that likes that. I, I don't like 22 episodes is not needed for everything. Like, no, I'm I mean, very everything. much in that camp. I mean, the, I mean, you get the chance to have fun. You know, you get to have these like standalone episodes and these quirky episodes. And when it's just, I, I think for shows like Shield and shows like Legends of Tomorrow, I you're yeah, that you, you, you kind of hit it on the yeah. Head I mean, it's just having fun it's, aspect. It's just a thing like people have now saddled into a type of fandom that favors one or the other. Like some people love when Shield. it's super dark and serious. Like we don't, yeah. we don't even need thirteen. Like knock it out in 10, you know, there's only so much. Well, it's not just that, it's just the different types of shows. Like, I mean, there's things like the the 100, Legends of Tomorrow, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all those kind of big serialized shows with big fandoms that still have that kind of old school model. But I mean, then there's always 
Like, like, like Jamie yeah. said, they're fun. Like, well, and like we always talk about with really between cool. like binge streaming and weekly releases and stuff, it, it's not a one size fits all thing. So some shows just might be better with that. And like Legends yeah. is a great example. I don't mind 22 episodes for Legends, but Legends also does a really good job of not making those incidental episodes in between filler. They do a really good job of like making them fun and lighthearted things, but not feel like completely inconsequential to the main plot. And a lot of shows don't do that very well. So I will trade five crap episodes (laughs) for, you know, 13 really good ones. I will always make that. And it's also about what type of show you're making because it's about budget. The 22 episode shows can do that because, you know, they've got a limited amount of budget and sets that they can play with. And it's mostly about kind of the performance and the acting with like limited kind of big set pieces and stuff whereas those kind of 13 episode shows kind of take the budget and they're going for more of that big prestige cinematic thing and pumping their money into like bigger better kind of thing so i mean like in not one like you said it's not a one size fits all both are fun i love both Mm -hmm. um i love the consistency of knowing like an agents of shield would keep me for when it's heyday for 22 episodes that would carry me over from fall all the way to summer, as opposed to like having to like scramble and have, you know, lack of content panic because I burned through all my series and I don't have anything to kind of carry me. So, I, I mean, I kind of wish that it would have been a summer show this whole time though. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm no, I didn't watch this season. I'm not caught up on it, but like, you know, Jamie, especially <laughs> tweeting about it because Jamie tweeted about it a lot. Like it felt like it, it, this show feels like a really good tone for summertime. It was, and it, I mean, and it's in the seasons that did kind of air that in the latter seasons, I, they started doing like airing in the spring and then towards like later kind of the odd seasons we got in the summers. Um, they were a lot of fun. It was also a lot of fun to have it like late at night with the Ghost Rider arc in uh, season four. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it, that Ghost Rider. I'm pissed when I get in that show. So good. It's one of my yeah. favorite seasons of television in general. Not just- and it doesn't make any, any sense at all. I mean, the first half is like, and this is what I love about S.H.I.E.L.D., and they even started making fun of it themselves in the show, which is also later on when it became really meta and winking at itself is like, yeah, they had a season where it started out all about the occult and ghost rider and all this dark stuff. And by the end we were in the framework with like robots and fake realities and like all this other stuff. And somehow that all came together by the end. And like, it was insane. Um, but yeah. And so I love, I'm going to miss agents of shield. I really am. I didn't think I'd get this emotional. Like when the last final moments were going on, but I really realized, like, it's that thing that, like, I didn't ever tell myself was, like, essential to my TV viewing. Every year I could kind of, like, make fun of it. But every time it was back, I was, like, really happy every time I was watching episodes. And now that it's gone forever, there's just a hole in my heart, you know? Didn't know what you had till it's gone. Exactly. Yeah. It's a life lesson. This is more than just a podcast. <laughs> These are life lessons. So appreciate what you have. If there's anything in 2020 to say, I mean, it's that. So you can still catch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you didn't. Um, it's a lot easier to do now that you can binge through it, to be honest, because you can skip over parts you don't like, and there are some parts you might not like. But um, there are like four bad episodes. It is mostly very solid. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, like, all in all. And most of those bad episodes are all contained in the first arc of season one. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, after that, it got, uh, it got pretty good. Those um, episodes just... are worth revisiting, though, because like you said about character arcs, it's fun to go back and, like, watch them dude, uh, yeah daisy johnson season one dude sky i mean she, i mean chloe bennett's character had an even different name by the time this show began like and it was a completely invented character before we got something much better and just her performance skills from just uh, just raw acting 
to just kind of really embracing that character and making it her own is one of my favorite arcs to watch in TV because like, yeah, she, it, I mean, people love her now and she has all this following, but like, you guys don't even know in the beginning, it was brutal. Like when that show first started, people wanted her. She was the first person people were trying to, they were trying to do like Jason Todd vote killing votes. Oh, like to get her off the show. Like it was, it was pretty nuts. So yeah, I already came a long way and I'm just happy to see like, yeah, Elizabeth Henstridge and uh, Fitz and all that stuff. Man, it's been such a long journey. Can you remember when we were all just like, will they, won't they about Fitzsimmons? Very much. feels like several lifetimes ago. Oh man. All right. Now I'm just kind of depressed. So we're going to move on to something that's going to uplift everybody. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is now streaming. I suggest you check it out if you, because now there's no stakes. It's over. Um, yeah, you can just check it out and kind of enjoy it. And, you know, we don't have to have a whole Marvel universe debate. About also, it. if you go back and watch all those episodes, you should also like time it to Jamie's Twitter, like recounting of episodes. Like you should almost use it as commentary because it's infectious, by the way. I didn't like I was never into the series like that, but it was hard not to get excited for episodes after seeing like Jamie's just sheer enthusiasm on Twitter. <laughs> It was, it was well, quite go. infectious. Quite infectious. You should. I need to hire you for the commentary track. <laughs> yeah. You should do like your own. Hey, man, you should do your own uh, mystery science theater type deal. Where Boom. Pages of S.H.I.E.L.D. with commentary. Gold idea. Lure in a lot of fans. That. Probably luring a lot of fans. Make it like an OnlyFans or something. And that's not S.H.I.E.L.D. Like tracks. Thing. That's a, just trying I'm to get this down. Mind. This is a good idea. Good. Yeah. We would succeed. Um, all right. So something that's going to uplift us all. Let's move on to Lovecraft Country. So. Such an uplifting show. Oh, yeah. Such a, <laughs> it is and it isn't, and I'll explain why. But um, Lovecraft Country is an adaptation of a 2016 novel, which is a, about a series of black characters in segregated in Jim Crow 1950s America who kind of embark in, and get sucked into this mystery about what happened to the main character's father who disappeared under mis- mysterious circumstances after discovering this kind of connection between his late wife and these kind of old, powerful, in maybe kind of occult forces up in Lovecraft country, which is inspired, of course, by the work of H.P. Lovecraft, the horror slash sci-fi slash all things strange and weird writer. And he often, Lovecraft country is a real place that he wrote about and is, you know, a real territory of Massachusetts. It's, I think, Southwest Massachusetts. And I always say that state weird, but uh, yeah, it's a kind of section. So like Stephen King and Castle Rock and that whole thing, he Lovecraft crafted real places into kind of his fictional world. So they have to go from Chicago into like, you know, this part of this other part of the country. And a lot of crazy stuff happens along the way that opens the door to these much bigger kind of mysteries. And um, I wrote the review for Lovecraft Country for comicbook.com. And I gave it four out of five. And what I basically said is, so this show is kind of strange in the sense that it comes our way. It's show run by Misha Green, who made Underground, which is a, which is a great show. Like, um, yeah. It was a really unfortunate casualty of TV business. Like, yeah. Underground should not have been canceled after two seasons, but it was part of that um, when uh, WGN America decided to pivot from, they went like real hard for like three years on original series. Because it was that and uh, Outsiders, and um, then WGN like said, "No, we're going to switch and do just like recycled programming." 
and reality stuff and yeah. like and, uh, underdog yeah. acts kind of unceremoniously. And, and it's understandable why. I mean, at the time, I don't know if <laughs> America was really ready to kind of confront that. It, ironically, it would be great right about now. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah. John Legend was on there for a while. Yeah. It would be it would be a hit now, ironically, in 2020, if we were just getting it like right about now. But uh, moving right along for them. So it's Misha Green, but it's also Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams as these three creative visions. And I said in my review, at first, you can tell where the push pull is between these three kind of creative visions. But thankfully, somewhere I'd say around episode three, the show really kind of settles into itself and becomes this weird experience. And while it is serialized it is kind of like Watchmen in the sense that it's serialized, but also they treat each episode almost like its own kind of standalone focused, almost mini movie. And that opens the door for more side characters to kind of step into the light and to expand the storytelling and the focus. And when it does that, like it really takes off. And I really do think Lovecraft Country will be kind of generating the same kind of buzz that Watchmen did. I think episode four is going to be off the chain. Charlie, did you ever get to watch that? I have, so I've only watched the first one. So okay. So yeah, this is like a weird, is... like heavy screener season right now. Like, you know, in the fall when we get like the, the screener, yeah. like award stuff, it's been like that for TV lately. Like we got like this and the boys, which I know a bunch of us are excited to talk about Matt and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> ratchet came in like a bunch of stuff all at once. And so I've only gotten to watch one so far, but yeah, well, episode four is a crazy kind of trading places episode, which is, I think, going to really have some people talking. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and like, it is a strange ride, but what the show also does, and, and I feel like this is a Jordan Peele kind of influence, is it takes the real horror, the fantastical horror stuff, it's, it's just like pure Super 8, J.J. Abrams, Cloverfield, that type of stuff, um, with monsters and, and kind of stuff, but... Uh, the Jordan Peele influence is that it can take real life and make it really horrible and, and racial politics and make it really horrifying and, and scary. And in episode one, that's the kind of trick that Lovecraft Country pulls. There's monsters and all this occult stuff, but the real tensest and mo- ten- I don't even think that's a word. The most tense and scary moments in this episode are just real life explorations of people trying to navigate from point A to point B in a segregated, violent, and very kind of racist country. And those scenes and learning about, and like, again, there's a lot of Watchmen comparisons because I feel like HBO has settled into like a, a formula that they're finding works, mixing, you know, high production and pulpy genre material like comic books or horror and fantasy and stuff. And so like Watchmen, what was I saying here? Uh, I just lost my point. I had something good, and I just lost it. Awesome. Um, HBO settling into a groove. Yeah. They, they oh, yeah. It actually, like it actually teaches you things that are horrifying about real history. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't wait to see, uh, from just from episode one alone this weekend, things like, you know, sundown towns are going to be a huge spike in Google yeah. searches. Well, people trying that to was, That was the scariest scene in the first episode. Yeah. When the cop is talking about, you know, like, they get pulled over by this police officer, and he's like, hey, well, this is – a sundown county you got to be at home you know when the sun goes down and you can't get to the next county you know you, you can't keep going where you're going and, and get there in time and it was like it was just really really like that was yeah more terrifying um, than anything the just to monsters. give you a quick spoiler what like charlie's talking about um the characters just stop and it's just in this is a thing that's great for like african-americans it's just how everyday life can be suddenly veer into this really horrifying reality 
where they just stop on the side of the road to pee because, you know, there aren't bathrooms for colored people in this part of this, in this town. So they're peeing just like in the woods and a cop pulls up on them and basically says like, I could take you in or, or have a hanging here because you're peeing and you, and they're like, but this is a sundown town and you have until sundown to get out of here. And he says, well, sundown's in like X amount of minutes, like seven minutes or something. And he's like, but I know that you can't make it to the county line in time. And it's, they have to go through this intricate thing in this encounter and this police encounter. It's like, he's like, okay, well you can, they're like, we can head back to the, to the um, place where we came from and make it. And it's like a trick, like the one main character is smart enough to know like, Oh, but we can't you turn off this road or you'll pull us over and kill us. Um, so we have to kind of drive it and do a legal turn and get out. And then we have to race the sun while this cop is following us to, to literally get out of this town in time. It's, and, it's, it's um, a wild, it's a wild sequence that like, yeah. And it just, touches on basically everything that's going on right now in the world. It's like a police encounter. It's, it's very kind of systemic racist stuff and it's terrifying. And like I said, this is going to spark Google searches for this stuff. I guarantee. And, and that, that was the thing with Watchmen. Like you brought up, you know, like this, it was, a, it was a huge realization to me. Like the sundown town I, I heard about before and I was familiar with, but when I watched, Watchmen, heard about it. Yeah. When I watched Watchmen, I did not know about the Tulsa massacre. How many of us didn't know about that? I'm it's almost crazy. 30 years old and I did not know about this. I, and, and I realized like I was never taught about that in school. And that's, that's crazy to me to have, you know, an entire like group of people in our country were just slaughtered, you know, over this thing. And we didn't, we weren't told about it. Like we learned about everything else where a situation like that kind of happened to white people you know, and I, we were never taught about this. And it was just, it's crazy to me as I started reading to like learn that this was just complete news to me. Like it, it was crazy. Well, yeah. And like people, we know about sundown towns, but I think it's different to watch like the reality. Yeah. To kind yeah. of just be the moment to moment like, yeah. actual experience of going yeah, just to be peeing that. and then have to kind of flee for your life from the law and get to a physical location before. And that happened right after a similar sun. situation had happened. Like, yeah two scenes before that. And that's what makes the first one intense. So that ironically, the funny part is by the time the monsters show up at the, at the climax yeah. of this thing, it's like the least scary thing in the world to you. You're like, Oh, monsters. Well, what, what I do, I did like, aside from how it deals with this, uh, something I really, really loved is that it opened up with its weirdest sequence. Oh yeah. The whole thing. There's a full, you know, there's like, a full Lovecraft right from the we, very we first see scene. the, uh, you know, the whole, the main character played by Jonathan majors, which everyone in the show is great, but I think Jonathan majors is like one of the best actors working right now. He's incredible in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He was great in Defy Bloods. Um, it, it, he's a, his character is a big like, sci-fi pulp reader guy. And uh, he was having this nightmare about, um, I forget who wrote it, but The Red Planet, uh, where John Carter's from, that whole story about John Carter. And like the opening scene is he is all of a sudden on The Red Planet, and there's like Cthulhu and stuff flying around. Jackie Robinson shows up with a baseball bat and slices Cthulhu in half. Like this is, this is the first thing that happens in the show. And I was like freaking out. And then, you know, it's the stream sequence and they go into the real thing, but it kind of sets up all of that like crazy body horror and dude, stuff like, in, in the wildest way. Episode two just goes full blown, like HP Lovecraft, occult, like it's nuts. Um, but like I said, after that, so the first two episodes are this kind of mini movie arc before it settles into the larger story. And uh, yeah, once it opens up, the cast of this is great. Um, this is like a real breakout for Journey Smollett, who's been like trying and bubbling and trying and bubbling. She was in Underground. She was in uh, Birds of Prey. Yeah, Birds of Prey was supposed Blood. to yeah. be that thing. 
I mean, that I, I think that she like. I mean, I, I think that movie did that. I mean, it was that thing for me. <laughs> well, I mean, like, yeah, but it, I mean, it did. But in it Hollywood, did send her into yeah, no, like Hollywood ain't paying her I mean, any it's more hard money. To say because that though, because play. like. I mean, no, no, it's a, not. I'm, I'm saying a, a pandemic hit after this. So it's like, it, it's not normal Hollywood okay, right now. Okay, I like, get it. But we're, okay. Every time I mean, you're here, you're like stuffing. I mean, she's going to make Full House. So I, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I'm, so okay, my point is to say, guys, that this show is going to really help propel Journey Smollett. Yeah, it was a compliment. I, 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 agree, compliment. With I agree with that. She is fantastic as Letitia Letty. Lewis, who is kind of the female lead of the show, and she's very like I hate using these terms because they're so like tropish, but like she is kind of like spunky and really kind of uh, you know fierce and independent. And as her, but thankfully, as her character grows, she gets. I mean, she does everything in the show. There are some future episodes where it's just like heavy dramatic stuff for her, and you know she's kind of comedic. She does song and dance in this. Um, yeah, it's pretty intense. So there's one episode sent around. And, just and, around not, I mean, like, and it's pretty awesome. She's, I mean, we mentioned her in Jonathan Majors, but like has in all your years watching movies, has Courtney B. Vance been No, bad? that's why Angela, that's why, uh, what's your name? Because he's, him. I mean, he continues to be so, so good. Oh, yeah. He's, I, I love oh, him yeah. in the show. Oh, I can't, how am I blanking on her name? He was great. If you haven't seen it, uh, Uncorked on Netflix came out earlier this year from Prentice Penny, who uh, is the showrunner for uh, Insecure on HBO. Um, Courtney B. B. Vance was excellent in that as well. Um, yeah. So other people who are also awesome in this is uh, Michael Kenneth Williams shows up later in the series. Um, you know, Omar from The Wire. Angela Bassett, that's who Courtney B.'s wife is. Uh, yeah, that's why she loves him. She wouldn't love a bad guy, a bad actor. Um, who else is really good in this is Wunmi Masaku, Mumi Masaku, which is an African name, um, as Journey Smollett's half-sister, Ruby who, like I said, gets her own kind of spotlight in episodes in the future. Uh, she's actually the uh, African lady from Batman and Superman who framed Superman for murder, but I don't blame her for that. That was Zack Snyder's decision. Um, yeah, Abby Lee from Mad Max Fury Road, who's kind of the antagonist of the series, and she's really good in that. And so... She was the one that was like... That had like the hair tied in, in Mad Max. Yeah, she was had, like, like the, the really hair, crazy... The yeah, she was tied, like really yeah. the crazy one, like... Yeah, she's like, yeah, the model and stuff. But uh, that's why I thought I was like, I, I know, I, I knew she was one of them. She I has those which... crazy eyes, man. Like, and she's really good in this. And as you see in future episodes, like, she's a really good kind of devil type character who kind of like just shows up and is. Really and she good. has a perfect Agent Carter hat when she uh, makes her. Oh debut, yeah, that is true. Really awesome. um, yes, that is very much true. You so, have like, yeah, successfully there's a great cast. got me hooked on this, by the way. I'm so, I'm, it's I'm, so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, and it's great. And like I said, it, it takes real world racial and socioeconomic and gender, all those issues, even future gets into kind of LGBTQ stuff, um, all of that. And just looking at America, like a real America as it was in the 1950s and the horror of kind of like not being able to kind of fully live in that world because of all the, the bigotry and oppression and, using that as a metaphor for all these occult things and tying them back to Lovecraft and even criticizing Lovecraft in the first episode because he was a, like a disgusting no, he was a horrible person. person. Yeah. Um, and kind of getting into that whole thing and, and just the metaphor of how do you love things in America and love America itself, but have all these hard things to reconcile with because that's what they kind of get into about why the main character is a sci-fi nut and loves Lovecraft. And his father kind of hated that because Lovecraft was a notorious racist. 
and you know it's just about kind of all these things so it's gonna be another hit for hbo i say all that to say it's great is it on hbo max yeah hbo max will like for these shows will work just like hbo now did yeah okay to where like as soon as it airs on tv yeah hbo bridged that gap a long time ago for hbo go and hbo now so yeah yeah the only reason they still exist is because uh amazon and um roku haven't done the hbo max deal okay, yet so yeah but yeah you'll be able to watch that it sounds awesome. yeah no so you'll, yeah, you'll be able to check it out so comes out this weekend if you love horror love sci-fi and just kind of loved what they did with watchmen and kind of crafting something both powerful and pulpy out of that then this is gonna scratch that itch for you and i'm happy to have it in summer to be honest because we need something good lord we need something all right lovecraft review you can check out my full review on uh, comicbook.com horror Moving right along, we got a little bit of time to talk comics, so let's talk comics. Matt, Woo-hoo. some big things have been happening. Um, we didn't check back in with Joker War. That was Joker War has gotten so far behind us now that I kind of forget what happened in this last, <laughs> in this last yeah, chapter. I get that. I know there were um, Joker drones. I remember that. Yeah, there were uh, there were Joker drones. Uh, we actually got to see more of the uh, Batman Harley uh, team up there because Harley's actually the one that pretty much saved him. Um, after his whole getting dosed with that new oh, Joker, Joker toxin, toxin yeah. um, and his punchline fight, uh, which went badly. And, you know, Harley's did too. This is actually kind of one of the, I actually enjoyed that part of the issue because I wish kind of, we had seen more of it uh, because they're very much like they both got whooped. Like they both got Bad. completely whooped <laughs> and badly. Uh, and uh, you know, there's actually a really cool story um, in the upcoming Harley 75 uh, next, which it's hits next week. Uh, there's actually a, a punchline story in there that actually bridges the gap between uh, that fight and then this issue. So that is something like if you're following Joker War, that is something you, you'll want to read. Um, but I, I love this dynamic between them. Like I actually like this team up and uh, you know, by the end of it, we also see them like rescue Lucius and we get to see, uh tanks and like you know some of that stuff some of that fun stuff um and we finally get to see like batman come in contact with the monarch theater and what joker's done um i don't know about you i wasn't as sold on that part like i felt well, like that was kind of a letdown well that's but. the thing like you and i were talking in the beginning because we spotted like what was going on here and that was like a big question was so the lead into this was his dark design and it introduced the designer, this criminal mastermind from Gotham City's past. And he had this weird, weird, weird power to kind of animate the dead and make them do stuff, which was a big twist in the story was finding out that when he returned in modern times, it was actually Joker just using his corpse. And we were like, well, what the hell is this power? Number one. And number two, how is it that Joker uses it? Because when he assumes um, designer's identity, he still kind of completes the illusion by being able to animate the dead. And it's like, so what is this? How is this working? Yeah, we still don't have now? that answer. <laughs> we still don't have this answer. But now it's like the master plan to kind of fill all these theaters in Gotham with dead people and animate them and have like almost like a zombie apocalypse in, in Gotham. But like, we don't know how this all works. So there's some things missing in this story. Yeah, there's um, the first part is really interesting because there was a preview released before where it's essentially like Bruce's dream. And it starts out with like that new costume and like what his vision of Gotham ultimately yeah, the one he is. Wanted, that was started this is he yeah. wanted to finally 
what started this whole kind of arc off was Batman's desire to stop just fighting crime and use his resources as Bruce Wayne to literally and figuratively build a bigger, better kind of modernized Gotham over the bones of this dark place that he's been policing. So, yeah. And then we see like, you know, it's obviously a, a dream that turns into a nightmare very quickly. And Alfred is still weighing on like, so that, that like first half of the issue I dug. And then we get to the second half and it, it starts to delve more into that. Just kind of typical Batman, you know, kind of trying to recover stuff and then Joker doing some crazy thing. Like it gets away from the interesting parts of the story of like, yeah. and one thing I didn't like is like they did the game of Thrones season two. If you remember game of Thrones season two, like before they had the budget for the big battle episodes, there is this big battle that Tyrion's in and he just gets, as they're running the battle, he gets hit on the head and like knocked out and he wakes up and the battle's over and basically Game of Thrones got to save on a, on a battle set piece because <laughs> he just gets recapped on what happened in the battle. Um, that's essentially what happens here is Batman's been out. He wakes up, time has passed, and Joker War is like already sprawling. In, and we just get exposition about like what this Joker War even is. And yeah. that's where we get like little kind of cut scenes to see people like Clown Hunter, who we meet for the first time, who's just a punk kid who puts a... He looks like Quentin. Casey from, Jones. <laughs> it's Quentin from back from X-Men meet or Quentin from X-Men meets uh, Casey Jones. Yeah. And he just spikes a clown in the head. So he's a killer. He's a clown. I mean, he, he is what he says he is. He's a clown killer. Um, yeah. And other than that, it's just to kind of reveal that Joker's using this thing. The Joker toxin is kind of cool. I wish like, and this is the thing I feel like as if this was Tom King, like, more of this would just be Batman on this Joker toxin dealing with various nightmares and like what they mean to his personal life and all that. Cause they are pretty horrific, like with his parents and their heads start snapping and stuff like that. And how yeah. he knows he's kind of going in and out of this non-reality. So um, there's a, so there's a story in last week's, I think it was last week or the week before these weeks are all starting to blend together. But there was, there was a story in the uh, dark Knights one shot and, it, and it's not tied to Joker work. Specifically, it's tied to death metal, but it was a like an alternate take on Bruce Wayne. And essentially, you kind of see how uh, the Robin King, like it's the Robin King's origin. And is this seriously screwed up like Bruce Wayne that like kills his parents and like does some really screwed up stuff throughout the story. Right. And it like explores this. And I can't remember if that was a Snyder story or not. But regardless, like that's the the bar. Like it, it, it left an impression. I was like, oh my God, that's really kind of, but you explore, it's like Alfred exploring this and like what he's done wrong, all these things. And it, and it explores this like horrific take on, on the story. And that's kind of what I was hoping to get from this. And it starts out that way. That first few pages does a really good job, I think, of, of exploring it. And then it's like, stop. And then exposition. And I still like the Harley stuff, but then again, we like stop again. And then we do a little more. And then it's, it's very choppy yeah. and i just i they it needs to find a groove and i don't love the that's one thing king did really well was balance the you know uh epic scope of it all the very comic booky hero versus villain arcing story with this is very grounded personal inner conflict stuff and if it had more of that the other stuff is fine. But without that, which this issue doesn't have enough of, it just comes off as like, eh, I've seen this before. I've, I've seen these big Joker things and that's not inherently interesting. So, 
All right, best Joker where we got time for one more, and I think if we're going to talk one more, I'd like to talk about Venom and uh, the next chapter Ooh. of Venom Beyond because that was a book that I didn't expect to be as chock full of big developments as it was, and uh, there's quite a bit that happens in this book. So let's talk. So, um, um, Venom, you know, we were fi- doing uh, Venom uh, during um, Maximum or Absolute Carnage, and then we didn't talk about Venom Island, which was kind of a side story where – Eddie Brock has to deal with some of the fallout from Absolute Carnage. But um, the, the long short is he comes back from Venom Island deciding he has got to do the right thing and tell people about Null and, like, what all is going on and getting prepared for this symbiote god to come to Earth. And, you know, he goes to see the Maker, and it's ill-timed because he also gets tracked down by Virus, the kind of anti-Venom hunter who they have a big scuffle in the Maker's lab end up messing some portal tech as you are wont to do when you do that. And they end up in this new dimension. And so this latest issue, it's called Venom Beyond, this new story arc, finds Eddie Brock and Dylan Brock, his son, in this new dimension where we begin to learn some very curious things about this place. Uh, first and foremost, uh, let's just knock off some of the bigger points. So this new dimension has its own symbiote hive mind that like, it's different, obviously, from the ones like Venom has known or been connected to. And so when he gets there, it's kind of like what happens in Endgame when Nebula arrives in a new timeline. He's connected to this mainframe, and he begins to download all this information, which really kind of screws up the symbiote for a minute um, because he learns all these new things. The end result of that is Venom has some cool new powers now, like, um, and we're beginning to find out some of those. Like he can absorb kind of energy blasts or stuff the symbiote can and then redirect them. So the symbiote can fire lasers now. So there you go. Yeah. Um, in yeah. this other dimension. <laughs> in, yeah, in this other In this dimension. other dimension right now. Um, but I feel like all this is set up. I mean, there's a lot of this that seems like it's prep for when Null comes to kind of upgrade Venom and yeah. upgrade the possibilities. Uh, the other thing we find out is a cool kind of thing is that this dimension has a, an Avenger squad that all come bearing Venom insignias on their, on their outfits. And we quickly learn they're actually symbiotes too. So we have a symbiote Avengers in this reality, which is creepy because Captain America's dude symbiote thing is so creepy. It yeah. looks, but it looks so cool. I th- yeah, <laughs> I when he gets awesome. so yeah, virus blows off his head, face and torso, and then like Cap just does like a symbiote reform, and but he still talks like 1950s Cap. So it's really <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and like yeah, the, finally the big thing is that Eddie Brock escapes with Dylan into the sewers, and they find out. So this world is kind of a fascistic world run by Codex, who is this kind of big bad, and the symbiote adventures work for him and are his enforcers. And he's brought peace, quote-unquote, to the world by basically symbiote, like, you know, just turning everybody into a symbiote. And so there's a resistance to this that Venom and Dylan meet in the sewers, and that resistance is led by Agent Venom, who is, in fact, uh, I always mess up her name, Anne Wying, Wying, how do you say her name? It's Annie. It's Annie from, it's, Annie. Uh, it's ex-Brock's, I mean, Brock's ex-wife, Annie. So in this reality, Annie is Agent Venom, and she's the leader of the resistance. And uh, based on her reaction to Eddie, it, I'm kind of safe to assume that Eddie, did, in this reality, Eddie didn't make it, was the one who died, and not her, because they're both very emotional when they see each other. Um, because she, of course, in the main Marvel Universe, committed suicide after kind of giving Dylan away to Eddie's father, and so she's been dead, so now she's back. And like I said, I feel like all of this is set up for the battle with Null. Um, and I feel like specifically if there's anything we're going to pull from this reality, it's going to be that Venom will have still new powers and that there will be a new agent Venom. I feel like Annie's coming 
back. Well, I mean, we don't have a uh, flash anymore. So that's <laughs> so, so a little, and I love that he's actually like at one point he's like flash, like he just assumes it's him. Yeah. And that's a, that's a cool part. Yeah. I, you know, Charlie's been on the, on the venom train uh, for a while. And I, you know, when this whole kind of relaunch of venom started, like I wasn't, I wasn't ever the biggest venom fan. I always liked venom in Spider-Man books, but I was never like just the biggest solo venom fan. But I gotta say, I, I've been impressed with how much evolution they've done, not only in just the lore, but the character and the family aspects. And, and it's not and stupid. It all makes sense. No. Yeah. It's, it's very well thought out. And you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. And, and here, you know, when they announced Venom Beyond, I was just kind of like, okay, it was kind of like, you know, Venom Island. I was like, it could be cool. And then Venom Island turned out. Venom Island the wasn't titles cool. are yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, okay, it, okay. that one kind of, I was like, well, it could be cool. And then it that kind of like, became a I mean, dud. It's hard, so it's hard because Island doing an internal story. The first yeah. arc or two were so good. And part of that was because Stegman was there. And it's hard for me. Like, I, I'm weird. I think Jamie might be with me on this. Like, it's hard for me to enjoy Venom stuff now after the movie because that movie was so, like, insane in all, like, the ways that ticked my insane boxes. You know, and like I need something to go just like completely to the wall, like absolute insanity for Venom to work. And so I, it's it's getting harder and harder for me to like this book because it's not. I just want it to be weird and just. I mean, not like comic weird, but like like weird. And it's just not a. It's it's not getting quite there. Like I like I hope it would, but yeah, no, but and I guess that's probably why I like that's probably why I like it is that it's not so extreme one way or the other. There's just a lot of actually grounded stuff within all this storytelling. That's like in a far off future or different worlds and all that. Like you wouldn't assume, like I go into this thinking it's going to be the green lantern season two, which is Grant Morrison, just like getting the run over. I need more lobster tanks. But I like that this is not that. And so I'm, I'm excited. I think this has really been a pleasant surprise. And if, you know, if you kind of made assumptions, about what this would be i would i would suggest giving it a read because i think you'll like it um i'll say that just we got to close out we're out of time but uh donny cates kind of really understands where eddie brock started which is eddie brock started as this well-meaning but complete f up of a guy i mean that's like who <laughs> that, he is. that is true <laughs> um and they've just taken and, and he leans into that so well that eddie brock is is now they, instead of trying to struggle with the anti-hero thing and, oh, I'm so tormented, it's just like he is an anti-hero in the sense that he, he is trying to do the right thing, but he's such a – But he only does the right thing because up. his kid's there. And well, that's what really like, – that's, that's a good no, – that's I a mean, really it's, good way it's to always his, It's always Eddie Brock's version of the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> makes, yeah. Is what made him such a compelling character in the beginning. His Venom wasn't straight-up evil. It was just his version of what was Spider-Man superheroics was like eating people. Um, and eating criminals. And so like, yeah. that's what kind of made it fun. It's a, it's a twisted evil Spider-Man. And in this, it's just like he's this kind of almost like blue-collar kind of screw-up, like, you know, been through AA a couple times, still trying to be a superhero, never quite gets it right, never quite fits in the Marvel Universe or with, like, the other heroes. Yeah. He's not a villain either. Um, and it's just this odd man of the Marvel Universe, odd man out. And I like that aspect of it. And I've rarely enjoyed... Uh, when Venom gets together with Spider-Man more than in this era because of that, because he's, their relationship has changed and Spider-Man even kind of looks at him that way. Just this like, I get it. You're trying, but stop 
screwing up. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's that dynamic between them. And I and I kind of love that, you know, especially yeah. since Dylan is coming to the picture. Yeah, He's just a I lovable agree. lug. But um, yeah. all right. Yeah. So you guys check out Villain. You tell us what you're Villain. Check out Venom. Tell us what you think about Venom. it. That's all we got time for. We'll talk some more comics because we got a lot more to get into on the Marvel side. But uh, that'll do it for this episode of uh, Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. If you're just getting into the show nowadays while you're on lockdown and bored, we put up new episodes every Wednesday and Friday on comicbook.com, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Google Playlist. You can tell any Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast, and it'll start playing for you. If you want to hit us up, you can find us at the hashtag Comic Book Nation. You can find me at Kofi Outlaw. You can find me at Matt Aguilar CB. Uh, at Jamie Cinematics on Twitter. And I'm at Charlie Ridgely. And if you like the show, when we're back in the studio one day, we have a whole closet full of merch to give away. So if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we're going to come back when we're back in the studio and uh, read, like, all of them and send you guys some T-shirts. So leave us a five-star review. Otherwise, that'll do it for this episode of Comic Nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in, as usual, and stay healthy, stay connected. Be sure to check in with us, and uh, we'll see you out there. Peace. Peace. Bye.